Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. If nobody has heard from 22-year-old Gabby Petito since the end of August, and tonight we're learning what could be some new clues in this desperate search to bring her home. We do have team coverage on the case that's capturing the attention all across the country. Christina Flores is speaking to Gabby's family tonight. Yeah, first though, Daniel Woodruff with a police report we found out about that was filed in southern Utah. Gabby and her boyfriend were traveling through Moab at the time as part of their cross-country road trip. Daniel, what would you find out? Yeah, Mark, 2 News obtained a copy of that police report from Moab from August 12th when Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie were reported to be fighting near a store there. Two officers responded and they detailed their interactions with the couple in that report. Now, one officer summed up his view of the situation saying, quote, after evaluating the totality of the circumstances, I do not believe the situation escalated to the level of a domestic assault as much as that of a mental health crisis. Now, police stopped the couple at Arches National Park last month. Officers say that Petito was crying uncontrollably, saying that she'd been having more arguments recently with her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, and that she was struggling with her mental health. Police say Laundrie also detailed struggles that he was going through and said that he had tried to separate himself from Petito when she went into a, quote, manic state and tried to slap him. Officers ended up not pursuing any charges. Instead, they separated the two. Petito took the van that the couple had been traveling in while Laundrie got a hotel room for the night. Now, Moab police tell us they are not currently involved in the investigation into Gabby Petito's disappearance, in which Brian Laundrie, her boyfriend, has been named a person of interest. You can read much more and see the full police report for yourself right now at KUTV.com. Live in the newsroom, Daniel Woodruff, 2 News. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. I'm going to jump straight back in where I left off, as there's still more to cover breaking down Officer Pratt's body-worn camera footage. And just a heads up, you'll be hearing some of the audio, and it may be distressing and or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so where I left off, Officer Pratt told Brian to tell his version of events to Officer Robbins, and he went off to get Gabby some water. So there is some care and consideration here. It's a hot day. They're in the National Park. The fact Gabby and Brian went to get water after arguing, and it turned physical, and that they were stopped by police, means that they must have been pretty dehydrated and exhausted by then. I mean, being upset and fighting is exhausting, and it totally rings you out in every way. 
mentally, physically and emotionally. Park Ranger Melissa Holes intercepts Officer Pratt to ascertain what's going on. She also asks him whether he was worried about Gabby's story. Officer Pratt said he wasn't. Park Ranger Holes wanted to speak with Gabby and Officer Pratt told her she could talk with her and that she seemed like a sweet girl. Take a listen to this. Oh, here. She says that she can only drink water. Are you worried about her story? Like, should I... No, no, you can, you can talk to her. She, she seems like a really sweet girl, 22 or something, has a lot of anxiety, and from what she's claiming, she's the full-on aggressor here. I, I'd love to go talk to the independent witnesses, and maybe that's what I'll go do. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple of waters. So in one breath, he says that she's a sweet girl, but also, according to Officer Pratt, Gabby is the primary aggressor. Park Ranger Holes agrees. Now this, to me, is another BGO, a blinding glimpse of the obvious, which none of them questioned. And here, Officer Pratt even openly admits that he still hasn't spoken with the independent witnesses. This is just so bizarre to me. This is the single most important thing to do to get an independent account of what's gone on, and it's why they were called there after all. Also, the fact Park Ranger Hole spends most of her time with Gabby and Officer Pratt is fully aware of this makes it even more peculiar that he didn't consider checking in with her throughout the decision-making process. Nor did Officer Robbins, who didn't even know her name. Now I'm curious, did it just slip their minds? Or did they not think it relevant? Or perhaps it was because she was a female officer. Well, whatever the reason, it's not good practice. How can you conduct an investigation like this? I mean, there are four officers who spent 75 minutes at the scene, so there really is no excuse. For me, this shows it's not really about having enough time. It's much more about poor oversight, management, a lack of skills and a lack of coordination. Now, that may seem harsh, But let me explain as I go through. So again, at around the 11.11 to 11.12 mark, Brian Laundrie tells Officer Robbins that he didn't really have a phone. And as I mentioned before, he said that his fear was being left alone. But having said that, Brian then laughs. He laughs out loud. Again, this is another blinding glimpse of the obvious, a BGO. I mean, Brian had the keys and he had her phone. He was the one in control, telling her that he was going to leave her there, not the other way round. Brian wasn't scared Gabby would go off, yet the officer failed to question Brian on his inconsistencies. This again is why it was important for Officer Pratt to direct Officer Robbins to take a statement from both Gabby and Brian separately and for him to have spoken with both independent witnesses beforehand and obtained statements. That would have been the ideal, and then they could have conferred. Brian's account could then have been challenged. Instead, they eagerly lapped up everything Brian had to say, even filling in the narrative at times. It was roughly 14 minutes into this police stop that Officer Pratt went off to his patrol car and spoke with one of the witnesses. Now I'm going to go over the significant details here of what was said and what was asked, and more importantly, 
what wasn't asked. Now, you may feel I've covered this before, but not in this amount of detail. And as I keep saying, the devil is in the detail. It's also important for you to hear things for yourself. So take a listen to this. Uh, now that we're not looking for them so intensely, I was just wondering if you had a minute to just kind of repeat to me what it is exactly you saw. No problem, sir. Yeah, so I was talking to my friend across the street uh, near the Forest Service building, and I just noticed that this couple uh, was sort of arguing a bit. And, you know, I wasn't staring at them, but it did catch my attention. And what I noticed is it seemed like they were sort of squabbling over a phone. I want to say that he was trying to grab her phone, and I'm not sure exactly why. And then it seemed like uh, he had sort of walked to one side of the van and sort of wasn't letting her in. And, and then the male was stepping into the driver's seat. And she was trying to get into the van. I think he said something about, why are you being so mean, something like that. And um, I, I remember she sort of hit him um, a few times. And it wasn't like slugs in the face, but just kind of like, like kind of like two kids kind of fighting. They, they reminded me of very mature, I don't know, children sort of fighting. Um, but there seemed like something was off, like a weird vibe. And um, yeah, eventually, it's like, you know, she crawled into the driver's seat, sort of like got into the vehicle over his lap, um, sort of forced her way in, I guess. Uh, and then they were in the car, and then they just drove away. So um, I wasn't sure what the nature of the argument was, or what it just seems like there was some sort of disagreement and some sort of like shutting i don't know why she would have entered through the uh, driver's door i thought that was strange and um and yeah so i thought about calling it in but i as soon as i walked up this bar it, uh, there was another gentleman who was already calling it in so i was like oh good on you that could give it off i wasn't supposed to do in that situation but um that's what i saw the male witness said the male was grabbing the female's phone and the male was stepping into the driver's seat and he wouldn't let her in the van. She was trying to get in the van and asked him why he was being mean. The witness said she sort of hit him, like two children, that something was off, like a weird vibe, and eventually she crawled into the driver's seat and she pushed her way in over his lap and they were in the car and then they then drove off. He said he wasn't sure about the nature of the argument. He wasn't sure why she slithered across the driver's door. He thought it strange. Okay, and yes, all of this is strange. It's strange enough that not one but two independent witnesses called it in. Now rarely do people call. They don't want to get involved. It's called the bystander effect. But here, two men did, because something was off. And by the way, when others call on someone's behalf, it's normally because it's something significant they've witnessed or heard, i.e. it's reached a certain threshold. So that should have been on these officers' radars too. Now to what the witness said, and I've queried this before. Why would Gabby slither in through the driver's door and push her way over the man's lap? What possible reason would a woman have for doing this? Was she so fearful of being left alone and Brian driving off in her van with all her things that she clawed her way back into the van? I mean, it really is as simple as it sounds. Gabby was trying to get her keys and her phone and her property from Brian. She was trying to get in her van. Brian stopped her. A reasonable person might conclude Brian was the one causing the problem, not Gabby. 
Also, the marks on Brian's face are most likely from this interaction. Gabby trying to get her phone and get in the van, and also when he put his hands around her face and grabbed her around the mouth and jawline. Significantly, the witness said another man called it in too, so it's clear that there were two witnesses Officer Pratt should have spoken with. Take a listen to this. Did you ever see the male strike the female? I, um, I would say that I think I saw maybe a push or a shove, but not like a full-on punch to the face or anything. Was the shove like an, was the shove or push an aggression towards her or was it a defensive maneuver away from her or to get her away from him? see her slapping him though it sounds like yes but, but it, yeah it was like I, my memory is he was in the driver's seat and she has the driver's door open and she's like kind of hitting him either in the arm or maybe on the face maybe with an open hand like hey let me in let me in don't be a jerk something like that okay well you know your story is really really helpful because you're an independent witness and we've just interviewed both of them and what you're saying is making everything make a lot of sense. So I really appreciate that I ran into you and that I was able to get your number and talk to you. So thank you very much. Um, if, uh, if, if we need to ask for a written statement, obviously it's voluntary, it's helpful, but I, at this point I don't know if we need to go that far unless you're around and super willing at this moment. I can meet you and get a statement. Yeah, no, I live, live here totally willing to do that. Oh, nice, um, okay. Where can we find you to give you a form real quick? About 10, 15 okay. minutes. Okay, cool. All Thank right. you. Appreciate you. He said it seemed like the male was trying to close off the passenger side of the vehicle and close things up, and he put the backpack on the back of the vehicle, and she was out and trying to get in. Now, Officer Pratt says okay, but he totally disregards what was said. In my opinion, this should have been another light bulb moment for Officer Pratt, but he appears to have made his mind up, and he's not hearing what's being said. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, 
but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island, where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The witness said something was off, and it got more strange as he was in the vehicle about to drive off and leave her, he said. But whilst he was saying this, Officer Pratt talked over him and said, But you did see her hit him, it sounds like. No, that's not what he said. Officer Pratt is putting words into his mouth here, and he totally cuts the witness off. He said it got stranger as Brian was in the vehicle and about to drive off without Gabby. That's important. So the witness said, He was in the driver's seat and she was sort of hitting him with an open hand like don't be a jerk, let me in, something like that. Officer Pratt said, thank you, it makes everything now make a lot of sense. And that if he needs a written statement, but it's not necessary unless you're around. The witness said he lived near and was willing and he could write it down. But Officer Pratt didn't seem interested, which is concerning to me. Always get it in writing, a signed statement, and get it straight away so it's still fresh in someone's mind. The male witness reiterated that something was off and he wanted to make sure no one was in a bad situation. Okay, so that's poignant. He knew something was off. Well, it's why he was calling after all, but he repeats it. Officer Pratt has still not even registered this. For me in this exchange, it's as plain as day, Gabby was victimised, not Brian. There was no assault. Gabby was trying to get into her van. Brian was controlling her and stopping her. And by the way, I told you most people don't want to get involved in domestic abuse cases. Also, if they call, they don't always want to give a statement. But importantly, this man did, because he was worried someone might get hurt. I wonder who he was worried about. That would have been my next follow-up question. Unfortunately, he never found out because Officer Pratt missed the opportunity. Doubtful, though, that he was worried about Brian, the man in control of everything. Also, I'm just throwing it out there now. If Officer Pratt felt pressed for time, how about asking one of the park rangers to go and meet the witness and get a statement? Remember, this was 14 minutes in. They had time, and there were four of them. So division of labour and tasking and all that is important. Officer Pratt should have spoken with the second witness to see what he had to say. But he didn't. He hung up the phone and made a beeline straight over to Officer Robbins. He interrupts whatever he's doing and saying to let him know that he spoke with one of the two witnesses. Officer Robbins and Officer Pratt then walk off together and they have a conflab. Officer Pratt conveys his reframed version of what the witness said. Namely, that despite Gabby desperately clawing her way into the van and Brian putting her backpack outside, that Gabby was the primary aggressor. You've heard my analysis of Officer Pratt's retelling of what the witness said in a previous episode. Now I have some new information, I want to revisit the part where Officer Pratt is telling Brian about the fact Gabby will have to go to jail unless there's somewhere for her to stay. So take a listen to this. You want to fill out a waiver that you're requesting a wave, a waiving of the contact order, the no contact order. The no contact order means she cannot 
come into contact with you, she cannot talk to you, she cannot text you, she cannot go onto any premises that you're occupying, she cannot go to your vehicle. And until you drop that or until court date, if you don't drop it, it stays in effect until midnight on the day of court. And then that gives you time to get a protection protective order, a long-term one, if you feel like you need one. But it sounds like you don't even want this one. So tomorrow, they open at 8, you can go in the police department, you can fill out the waiver, they can remove it, then you can say, hey babe, where you at, let me pick you up, and you can pick her up. Now, we're hoping not to put her in jail, but if she doesn't have somewhere to go tonight, to be separate from you, then where are we supposed yeah, to go? I can't talk to her now because of the separation, there's right? no contact order yeah, So, yeah. tell me this, do you guys have enough money for like a hotel room or anything like that? Because what we could do is, we'd cite her for this, and then I'd give her a write-up to whatever. And you can pick her up there tomorrow if you and want to drop the note. On your way to go pick her up, you stop over there at the PD, sign the paperwork that they're requesting, and then you can go pick her up quite literally. Unless you know someone else in town that's a friend that she can stay with. Yeah. Yeah, no, unfortunately I'm not. I, I don't, and I guess that... Man, I sure hate to... I don't want her to go to jail. Will it be... If she goes to jail, it's like... Uh, it, that, that, that goes down somewhere instead of her going to a hotel, right? If you did a um, citation, it would be... It, it kind of depends. So if she goes to jail, they're going to book her. And they'll take her fingerprints and yeah. it's going to go on her criminal history. And then if they if if they don't convict her, then it will just show that it was dismissed. Under, it, was, it will show up on her criminal history, but the charge was dismissed. If she is found guilty, it will show up that she was guilty of domestic assault. But the charge, the charge itself will show up on her criminal history until she gets it expunged. Now, even if we give her a ticket... We're still going to take a fingerprint, and it's still going to show up. Either way, it's still going to show up. She, there's no way around a Class A. Or is this Class B? This is Class B. But they do require a fingerprint on it. Yeah. Okay, so... The other part is, is, if you contact her, and she contacts you, she can be charged with a Class A. Well, which is a little bit yeah. different, but it doesn't help us. If you were to contact her and she responds to you, then she could get a new charge yeah. for violating no contact order. No contact order doesn't restrict you, it restricts her. So if you go talk to her and we find out uh, you're not in trouble, she'll be in trouble. So it's, yeah. it's in your interest to... Does that all make sense? No, I'm getting it all. It's I'm a good. lot. I'm really quick. No, no, I'm, yeah, I'm getting it all. I'm just trying to figure out a way. You don't know anyone in town? You guys been here how long? No, I don't know anyone in town. If she went... She could... I don't think C-Cave will take her where she's the aggressor. No. It is a women's shelter. I'm curious. You could find out and say, hey, she doesn't wait, have wait, nowhere to I mean, go. If you did the citation, she, like, say she drove off and she could drive off in this car. We could give you a ride somewhere. Yeah, I got my backpack. Sucks for you, but I you got my backpack. You can spend I, a night. You want to drive me to Delicate Art? So Officer Robbins asked if they had money for a hotel, and he said that he could drop Gabby off, and they can get the citation discharged the next morning. Brian said nothing in response. Officer Pratt then asked if they knew any friends there that could help. Brian said no. And Officer Robbins clearly said that Gabby could go to a hotel. They just needed to pay for it. Still nothing from Brian. Now I know that he did in fact have money, $20,000 in his Bank of America account. Now even if this money was ring-fenced for something or for an emergency... I would have thought that this would fit that criteria. Now in this new light, knowing that he had money, he seemed to be enjoying this a bit too much, and he's milking every moment of it. It's at this point, you see, that Brian then inappropriately laughed and joked about going hiking, and what followed next was the whole blar about the van and whether Gabby could drive her own van, 
I've talked about that before. Now, I believe this is the ultimate punishment for Gabby, and it's abhorrent and angry-making. You see now how a new piece of information that may seem trivial at the time really does give you a different perspective. Viewing and listening to all of this from Officer Pratt's body-worn camera footage as I watch Officer Robbins literally blow his nose contents out onto the side of the road whilst these four men try and inverted commas figure it all out and make such heavy weather of all of this from the wrong end of the telescope makes me incredibly angry and also incredibly sad. And then Officer Pratt headed off to speak with Gabby. Take a listen to this. You sweating to death yet? I think we're good. You good? I'm going to talk to you real quick, but I've been talking so much, i got to get some water. I'll be right back. Let me grab water. Now this is the water. It's cold water. Hell yeah. Okay, Gabby, when you grow up, and you're a full-grown man, this is what you'll drink from. <laughs> Plus it's ice cold, and so I'm gonna drink from it. Sorry. <laughs> you'll probably never be a full-grown man. <laughs> then you can do your curls. So. Just when you think it can't get any worse, new lows are reached. That's how Officer Pratt started off the conversation, saying that one day, Gabby, you'll be a full-grown man. I seriously don't know what's happening at this point. It's so patronising and bizarre to misgender Gabby like this. One day she'll be a full-grown man. What the hell was he talking about? I mean, perhaps this was supposed to be funny, but Gabby was a victim of domestic abuse and coercive control, and she's certainly not finding any of this funny. I just don't get why Officer Pratt thought it was appropriate or why Park Ranger Holes was laughing along with him. It's really not okay on any level. Be professional. Gabby needed help, not condescension and being patronised. And unfortunately, it didn't get any better from there on out. Listen to this. Look, I'm going to speak to you frankly. I have a daughter almost your age. And I'm looking at you not so much like a suspect, but also as kind of a victim in the sense that you're dealing with some struggles emotionally and mentally at your age. Probably they'll work themselves out as you get older. There's a lot of angst at your age, and I remember being your age too. And hopefully it works itself out. But the stuff you did today that, that contributed to this, because you both contributed to this, uh, is as a result of your inability to cope with the anxiety and the stress that you're having. So in a way, you're kind of a victim of this. Um, I think you would have done better if you had the skills to do better. But you don't learn skills until you learn skills. And you're not, you don't have enough life experience yet to know how to navigate everything. Like I don't either, but I can navigate what happened. If I was in your shoes, I could handle it different because I'm 39 years old. I've been through it. But I've got a lot of life lessons to learn still because I'm like my dad and my grandpa's, you know, they know stuff I don't know. Right? They can do stuff I don't know. So in a way, I'm just letting you know that we sympathize with you. But, based on what you've said and based on what our, vic- our witness has said, and even based on what your, your fiancé has mentioned, trying his very hardest not to have you in any trouble, he does have marks on him that witnesses say were caused by you slapping him. 
and that even you say you slapped him and, and were aggressing him first. And I don't have anyone saying that he actually punched you aggressively. It sounds like it was shoving in a manner that was probably more consistent with trying to prevent you from entering the van or pr to get space from you, not to ass assail you, if that makes sense. So if the tables were turned and he was beating on you and you were shoving him, of course we're going to look at it like, oh, of course, she's defending herself to get away from this guy. But we're, we're kind of looking at the same way with him. And we have to treat both fair, even if he's a bigger male and you're a smaller female. The law doesn't say, hey, Officer Pratt and Officer Robbins, you can treat people different based on gender under the same... So we can't. Even if it makes no sense that you... Because you, you probably could not physically destroy this man the way that he could if he attacked you. We can't treat you different. Okay? So all that long-windedness I'm giving you right now is leading up to the fact that... the. If I pull someone over for speeding, I have the right to give them a warning. I have something called officer discretion. But in, in the legislature in Utah, they have made a law that if we have a domestic assault, they don't trust the police to make good decisions because too many cops have made bad decisions. So they say, we're not going to give you discretion. We're going to write a law that says if you have a domestic assault, whether it's male on female or female on male, whoever the primary aggressor is has to be charged. No choice. You don't get to give them a warning. It doesn't even matter if they're barely hurt at all and the guy doesn't want to press charges or the girl doesn't want to press charges. We don't have a choice. We literally have no choice. He does not want to press charges. He says, you guys are a team. He says, you're his fiance. He says, he loves you. He says, he, he doesn't want anything to happen. But we are explaining to him that we don't have any choice in this. So we're going to have, we're trying to get a local, uh, victims advocacy group called Sea Haven to get him a hotel for the night so that you can have the van because they won't give you the hotel because you're the you're the one who is the primary aggressor so they're going to consider him the victim so they're going to get him a hotel so you, he wants you so that you don't have to go to jail because the only thing we can do is take one of, take you to jail he says well so she doesn't have to go to jail then I will accept Sea Haven's help if they'll give me a hotel and then she can have the van so she doesn't have to go to jail she can just have a ticket when you get the ticket, it's going to give you a phone number to call, and they're going to give you a court date, and that court date will probably be online. I have to come back to Utah? No, it'll be online. Oh. You have a smartphone? Yeah. So you can... Sorry. I go to court. You're okay. Sorry, I've yeah. never heard of this. I didn't know yeah. this was in when, Utah. When COVID happened, they switched all the court from in-person to online. So when I go to court now... I have a ticket for hitting the curb. Earn something, please, because we're okay. Like, we're just... I understand, but we don't have... We don't have any... Like, Listen, if I had any discretion in this, I would separate you guys for the day and just give you warnings to stop hitting each other. <laughs> but I lawfully don't have discretion here. Officer Pratt goes on about how he could handle it differently because he was 39 years old. He also said that Gabby's fiancé was trying to not have her in any trouble. Lord have mercy. I mean, give me strength here. Brian did not try and help Gabby. Not once. He threw her under the bus literally at every opportunity. He said she was crazy. He lied. He didn't tell the truth. He didn't offer to pay for a hotel room. He had $20,000 at his disposal. Now I believe he reveled in the fact the officers believed him. And Officer Pratt only spoke with one witness. And that's not what he said. And no, Seekhaven did not see Gabby as the primary aggressor. Officer Pratt did. They're making their decision based on what he told them. And Brian was not going there, so she didn't have to go to jail. 
Brian could have quite happily paid for her hotel room. And the chances are Gabby didn't even know that if she paid for a hotel room herself and then met Brian the next day, that that was one of the options on the table. And she didn't know about it because they only talked with Brian about the options. Gabby was just so distraught. She was so overwhelmed with what she was hearing that she was the perpetrator and that she would have to attend court. When you've not had any contact with law enforcement, this was all pretty scary stuff. Officer Pratt told her that she and Brian should stop hitting each other. So for me, here it leaks out that Officer Pratt knew that this wasn't an assault. I don't believe he'd say all of these things if he really thought that the person that he was talking to, Gabby, was the abuser. Also, in the state of Utah, strangulation is a criminal offence. That's what he should have charged Brian with, in my opinion. He didn't collect the evidence. He didn't write it up. He missed the offence. Hey, lovely. What's your makeup go-to? What do you need to face the day? Now, for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup. And my amazing sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics, has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics' Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are homeless. Now, if you want a wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crimeanalyst for 10% off your first order. Now the next bit is a hard listen. In response to Gabby's question about the witness, Officer Pratt explained that there were two witnesses and their stories matched up and that she was the primary aggressor. It's at this point Gabby becomes even more distressed. She started crying more and seemed overwhelmed. Again, it's worth underlining here that Officer Pratt had only spoken with one witness and the witness did not say that Gabby was the primary aggressor. Now, I've looked into the predominant primary aggressor law in Utah and I believe that it was misapplied here. There are four key considerations for identifying the predominant physical aggressor under Utah's law. One, prior domestic violence. Two, assessment of injuries as being offensive or defensive in nature. Three, assessment for future harm. And four, consideration of self-defence and or defence of property. 
These four things need to be evaluated. Now, I didn't hear any discussion about it, nor did they document it. They also referred to Gabby as the primary aggressor, citing her statement that she hit him first. Well, as I said, Utah's law is not a primary aggressor law, and the first person to hit is not necessarily the predominant. As I said before, it's my belief that Brian's injuries were most likely defensive in nature. Gabby was trying to get her property. In other words, as I've said before, Brian started all of this because he was controlling Gabby and locking her out of her van. He was threatening to take her phone and threatening to leave her there. Gabby, on the other hand, was defending her property. And ergo, even under Utah law, she was not the predominant aggressor. And the fact the law focuses on the physical, that's a big problem for me. And I'm going to say a lot more about that too. Officer Pratt stated he spoke with two witnesses who corroborated that she was the problem. And when Gabby heard that, she appeared defeated. Officer Pratt again said Brian was trying to keep her out of trouble. Like I said, it seems to me that the opposite was true. Another lightbulb moment missed by Officer Pratt. And here, sweet and distraught Gabby told him that they're a team, that she doesn't want to be separated from him, that it would give her anxiety, she said, and that she would pay any ticket to just please give her a driving or parking ticket. Okay, so here, this is the opportunity for Officer Pratt to tell Gabby that if she could pay for a hotel, then that was an option on the table too. Of course, Gabby should never have been in this situation in the first place because she was the victim, but I'm just playing it out. Officer Pratt, in my opinion, should have shared exactly what he told Brian, and perhaps he should have told her Brian said he had no money to pay for the hotel. He could have told Gabby, you can stay in a hotel for the night, and the next day you can sort out the citation. But Officer Pratt never gave Gabby this option. Why not? Instead, Officer Pratt said he'd speak with his supervisor and see what else they can do and see if he's missed anything. Take a listen to this. I, I don't have any... Because somebody said something, like a witness said something. But there's two witnesses. And then there's what you said and what he said. And guess what? It all matches nicely that, that you were the primary aggressor and that the injuries he has were caused by your aggression towards him. Even if he doesn't feel hurt, even if he doesn't want to press charges, there's nothing any cop can do about it. It's written into the law. I know that. I don't... Normally, we take people to jail, but he's trying to work it so you can just have the van. Tomorrow... I don't, I don't want to be separated. <laughs> you can have anxiety? Yeah, yeah. No, we're a team, please. <laughs> there's no... What is it? No, like, we're a team, please. I'm gonna, he's going to give me so much anxiety. Can we just have, like, a, a driving ticket? Okay, the very best thing I can do is call my supervisor... And see if I'm missing something here. <laughs> because if we, I'll, I'll pay you any driving ticket, a parking ticket, anything. Okay, Gabby, Gabby try to calm down and I'm going to go call a supervisor. But I don't think that there's much I can do, but let me see if the supervisor can tell me something I'm missing to make this I not happen. I can't feel and I can't. I couldn't handle that. I'm sorry. Okay. Just give me a minute, okay? This really is making heavy weather of it all. And why? In my opinion, it's also unnecessary. If only male perpetrators were dealt with this robustly and women's trauma was taken as seriously. So off he goes with his big old man-sized water cooler to speak with a supervisor, Acting Chief Palmer. Listen to the conversation. 
Hey, so a tiny little girl, 22 years old, slapped her boyfriend, her fiance, several times. He's got a little bit of a, a little tiny abrasion on his, on his like, uh, on his chin, on his jaw. They got into a van and drove off. He got called in by two different, well, there's one caller and then a witness. Got them stopped. The story from the witnesses matches the story from the female, matches the story to the male. She was pissed off. She's having a rough day. He tries to separate from her. She's not staying away from him. She has severe anxiety problems. He locks her out of the van, says, you need to go for a walk and cool off. She's forcing her way into the van. She's clawing her way past him into the van to be with him. He's shoving her to get her out of the van, but he's not assaulting her or he's not assailing her. He's trying to keep her out. She's punching, slapping everything. She's got to be 105 pounds soaking wet, 22, full of anxiety, having a really tough time. Not making excuses, but I mean, it is written in the code. We do have a domestic assault here. He's not wanting to pursue it. He's very adamant. He does not want to pursue it. We're mm -hmm. explaining we don't have we don't have any discretion on these things. We're giving him a no contact. We're letting see Cave and see if they can get him a hotel so she can have the van so that we don't have to put her in jail. Um, she's she's really struggling with the idea of being alone and not with him and not having the van. They want to be together. I told her, look, there's not anything I can do. This is all written into freaking statute. She's. I just said, the last thing I can do is call a supervisor and see if there, where this is such a minor... It was like a slap fight, and there's the injury is from a fingernail. I just don't know if it's worth the whole domestic thing or not, or if it's going to get some trouble if we don't do it this way. Well, they don't want to, but I told them that unless I get some kind of permission some other way, I'm pretty sure this is just statute and that we have to separate you. As far as the domestic assault charge, what do you think about that? Well, I mean... Do the whole thing or not? But is there a way to not do anything on something like this? I mean, it's so minor. It's hard to say, right? I'm going to go reread the statute and just see if, if it fits or if there's a way it doesn't fit and if I can find a way that, because it, it really is, this the spirit of the law is being lost on this one. It really is. So let me see what I can find and if nothing else, mm -hmm. then we'll separate him whether she likes it or not. All right, thanks. All right, bye. Thanks. Bye. Okay, let's break this down as it's important. Now, Officer Pratt said, a tiny little girl, 22 years old, slapped her boyfriend several times and has a tiny abrasion on his jaw. They got into the van and drove on, one call and one witness. He retells his version to the supervisor. He said Gabby was pissed off. No, she wasn't pissed off. She was fearful, as he was going to leave her in the middle of nowhere. She just wanted to be in the van, 
It was clearly her safe place. Officer Pratt said she had, in inverted commas, severe anxiety. No, she just had anxiety, and that level of anxiety is not really surprising, given what's been going on. Officer Pratt said she needed to cool off. No, Brian threatened to leave her there, and he was in the van, having put her backpack outside the van. Officer Pratt said he was shoving her to keep her out. No, it doesn't sound like that was happening to me. Brian grabbed her by the mouth to shut her up and flex his power. Then Officer Pratt said she was punching, slapping, everything. That's not what the witness said. The witness said there was no punching and she was just trying to get in the van. This is important as it's not accurate what he's saying to his supervisor and the supervisor is the check and the balance. Officer Pratt said she's got to be 105 pounds soaking wet, 22, full of anxiety and having a tough time. He said they had no discretion. Seekhaven was involved so that she could have the van. And it's written into statute, he said. But importantly, he said, it's so minor. So he admitted that too. He told the supervisor nothing about Brian's hand over Gabby's mouth and nose. Nothing about risk. Just that it was minor. He ends by saying that he'll go and reread the statute. He said... And I quote, the spirit of the law is lost on this one. And yes, I would say that was 100% accurate. So you can now see how important it is to get the facts right, as well as to document them and the evidence. Storytelling also plays a part. How an officer conveys what has taken place to a supervisor matters. It's why the DASH risk model is so helpful. It captures all of this information. I always say to people that I train, this is your decision log. Officer Pratt's supervisor, Acting Chief Palmer, wasn't given an accurate picture of what happened. And that's a travesty. The checks and the balances, i.e. the supervisor, they're there for a reason. That's what I always say in training. Supervisors must supervise. It's their job. They too must ask the right questions of the officer. This again underlines why it's important that supervisors are trained by experts in domestic abuse, coercive control, stalking and risk assessment. You cannot afford to get it wrong. Not once. Because these really are life and death situations. Officer Pratt then has a discussion with Officer Robbins. Officer Robbins is looking through the passenger window. Officer Pratt then reads out the statute and is trying to make sense of the legislation. I'd like you to hear it for yourself. Take a listen to this. Bodily injury means physical pain, illness, or any impairment of physical condition. So let's see. He's not ill. He doesn't have an impairment of physical condition. And if he's not in pain... Like how... Okay. How far do you want to go with this? Like, you know why the domestic assault code is there. It's there to to protect people, especially... The reason why they don't give us discretion on these things is because too many times women who are at risk want to go back to their abuser. They just wanted him to stop, and they don't want to have to be separated. They don't want him charged. They don't want him to go to jail. And then they end up getting worse and worse uh, treatment, and then they end up getting killed. Mm -hmm. In no way, shape, or form that I can perceive does what happened here, a little slap fight between fiancés who love each other want to be together 
can I perceive that this is going to digress into the situation where he's going to be a battered man? Right. But then again, I don't have a crystal ball. So I was looking at the... I talked to the assistant chief to see if there's any way to just go less than what we... than the full force domestic assault route. Right. And he says, look, I mean, you either go all the way or you don't. And it's like, okay, but under what circumstances can I not? And really the only time I cannot is if it doesn't fit. If it fits, then it's in the law, then you have to do it. So I went and I looked at the code for assault, because this is an assault, enhancement domestic assault. Utah code, assault. Now you and I both know what it is, but think of how valuable it is to look it up and read it word for word, especially when what you're doing is gonna get evaluated by a court who cares a lot about words. Words are there for a reason. Assault is an attempt with unlawful force or violence to do bodily injury to another. So did she did she attempt to do bodily injury to him? She went to smack him. Did was her was it was it her intention to do him bodily injury? Now that's what we have to find out. Because it says bodily injury is that by definition, physical pain, illness, or any impairment of physical condition. Well, he's got a swollen right eye. We don't care what the Scratches. result was. We care about the intent. So we got to go find intent. intent. If she did not intend to cause him pain or illness or to cause him... Impairment of physical condition. Was it intent and attempt or intent or attempt? When you're attempting to do something, it's, you have to intend to do it. If I intend, if I attempt to, to, to get a basketball through a hoop, I have to intend to do it. Intent is implicit with attempt. Right. Okay, so what was her intent? What was her intention? If you go ask her, what was your intention when you were slapping him? And she says, uh, I wanted him to hurt or be ill or impair his physical condition. Then there's nothing we can do. Okay. One way to word it might be, hey, when you slapped him, were you intending to cause him physical pain? And let's get let's get rid of illness because that has nothing to do with it. Physical pain or impairment of his physical condition. Is that your intention? Is that what you were attempting to do? That's what the says right here. An attempt. Right. Were you attempting to cause him pain or an impairment of physical condition? Whatever she answers to that question will seal her fate. Because the only way you know what her, her what she was attempting to do is by asking her. Right. I'm going to break it down. Officer Pratt called it a little slap fight between two people who love each other and asked the question, can I perceive he will become a battered man? Okay, so right here, he knows that Brian is not a battered man. He's not a victim of domestic abuse. Gabby is not a risk. But he says he doesn't have a crystal ball. So he spoke with the assistant chief to see what other options they have. The only option not to do it is when it doesn't fit. And good Lord, it really doesn't fit. And all the signs have been missed. And all the BGOs. And then the irony of him saying to look up the law, especially if you're going to be evaluated by a court who cares a lot about words. And as you've heard me say throughout Crime Analyst, words matter. Yes, they really do. And you'll continue to hear me say that a lot. But here, Officer Pratt becomes fixated with intent and whether Gabby intended to do bodily injury to Brian. 
And Officer Robbins answers yes, she went to smack him. Uh, no, Gabby didn't. Gabby tried to get in the van. She wanted the keys and her phone, but Officer Robbins then said that Brian had a swollen eye. No, he didn't. He's literally making things up at this point. They then go and speak with Gabby. Park Ranger Melissa Holes is stood by the patrol vehicle Gabby is in. Officer Robbins opens the door. Officer Pratt peers in at her and takes the lead. He tells her to think very hard before she answers. He started by asking about what her intention was, whether she intended to harm Brian when she slapped him. Well, take a listen for yourself. Gabby, this is a very, very important question. How you answer this question is going to determine what happens next. But the only person who can answer this question is you. Think very hard before you answer the question. Do not quickly answer it. Think very hard. When you slapped him those times, were you attempting to cause him physical pain or physical impairment? Was that what you were attempting to do to him? What were you What were you attempting to do? What was the reason behind the slapping and, and stuff? What was, what was it you were attempting to accomplish by slapping? I was trying to get him to stop telling me to come back. Well, it doesn't sound to me like she attempted to injure him. It's your call. This is 100% your call. I support you either way. Officer Pratt throws it to Officer Robbins. It doesn't sound like she intended to injure him. It's 100% your call. He's so casual about it. It's your call. Now, for me, it's clear that Officer Robbins was not comfortable. His fingers were tapping on the open door. He looked away. Officer Pratt told him he'll support him either way, and he then walks off. Officer Robbins follows. He said he didn't know what to do as Gabby openly admitted striking him in the arm. Park Ranger Melissa Holes appears and hovers nearby within earshot. Her body-worn camera is positioned centrally on her chest, looking right at Officer Pratt. Officer Robbins said that Gabby striking him is what caused Brian to hit the curb. Now Officer Robbins is talking about when he pulled them over in the van, so it's clear to me now they're talking at cross-purposes, which is extremely problematic. This wasn't addressed to ensure that they were all on the same page. Gabby had already explained this and said that they were being pulled over and that she didn't grab the wheel. Park Ranger Holes said that she admitted to distracting Brian, in inverted commas, because he wasn't listening to her. But importantly, we have to remember the police were called due to domestic violence in action, where the gentleman was slapping the female, and whereby Gabby was prevented from getting in her own van. They were not called because Brian hit the curb. Officer Pratt then sums up in the most confusing way. Take a listen to this. So assault is an attempt with unlawful force or violence to do bodily injury to another. The code for bodily injury, the definition says, bodily injury is infliction of pain or physical impairment or illness. So you can go... This, now, I'm just going to... I'm going to be... I'm recording and society and the judges and everyone can, can judge me for this. I am looking at a 110-pound female and her fiancé, who have no means to be separated. He doesn't want to pursue it. She's not a threat to him, more than slight abrasions from her fingernails. I, I don't care if, if 
we use the actual letter of the law to to not charge. But I also don't care because it literally does possibly make perfect sense to go full-on domestic assault and do the whole thing. This is uh, your opportunity to make the decision. Let's, let's, let's do this. I support you either way. Let's do this. Officer Pratt read out some of the statute, and importantly, not the full statute. He said he was recording, and society, judges, everyone can judge him for this. My goodness, how prophetic. He reiterated that Gabby was a £110 female, that they had no means to be separated. Well, they did, because Brian had $20,000 in his account, but Brian kept quiet about it. Brian doesn't want to pursue it, and Gabby was not a threat to Brian. Then Officer Pratt said something incredibly bizarre, and I'm going to quote it directly. He said this, I don't care if we use the actual letter of the law to not charge, but I also do not care because it literally does possibly make perfect sense to go full-on domestic assault and do the whole thing. This is your opportunity to make the decision. Clear as mud, right? Like, what does he even mean? This officer is supposed to be a mentor, a supervisor. That having been said, Officer Robbins seemed to take something from it and says, well, actually, you should listen to what he says yourself. Listen to his response. Taking your advice, let me do a crime report on this. Won't charge right now. Won't cite her for it right now. We'll send it off to the county attorney. City. City attorney. Send it off to the city attorney. Let them screen it and make the decision. If you send it to the city attorney and they strongly disagree with your decision and they throw a complete fit, you might hear about it in a very negative way. Right. So I would make a decision yourself. I'd rather be dinged for a decision I made than a decision I didn't make. Especially if they think you're completely negligent in your decision. Why give it to them? The only way to reason to give it to them is if you're not sure if you have enough for something and you want them to decide if they have enough. So I, I support, I, I'm not joking, if we need to go all the way to jail, or whatever we need to do, all the way down to... Okay, I'm going to break this down. So Officer Robbins says, let's do this. Taking your advice, let me do a crime report. I won't cite her right now. I'll send it off to the city attorney for them to screen it and make a decision. He actually said county attorney, and Officer Pratt corrected him. So for me, it's clear he's trying to be respectful to Officer Pratt, but it's also evident he doesn't really know what he's doing. He doesn't want to make a decision. But Officer Pratt advised him not to do that and said that if they strongly disagree with your decision and throw a complete fit, you might hear about it in a very negative way. He told him to make the decision himself. And at this point, Park Ranger Holes chimed in and said, I'd rather be dinged for a decision I made than for a decision I didn't make. Officer Pratt said, especially if they think you were completely negligent in your decision. And he said, why give it to them? You only give it to them if you're not sure if you have enough of something and you want them to decide if you have enough. But Officer Pratt said he'll support him, even if they go all the way to jail. Then a call comes in over his radio and he said he had to go. Well, that seemed somewhat short-lived in terms of support. Take a listen to this. I better go on that. You got this? I'm making this decision. I'm 
I'm going to sight him. I'm going to go okay. follow through the first Would you feel more comfortable here. handling that guy? Yeah. Go handle that guy. Go handle that guy? I'll go handle that guy. Okay. If you're more comfortable. Well, I'm, it's six one way, half dozen the other. It's up to you. I mean, it's a headache whether I go left or it's a headache whether I go Look, right. Another option is to not charge them but separate them for the night. If they find themselves together again, what is it to you? You separated them. You provided for his safety. If he doesn't have enough sense to stay away and you, you got him separated, it's on him. So Officer Pratt was now telling him that he didn't have to charge Gabby. And Park Ranger Holes said, you can't babysit them and she'll let them know if they're back in the park camping. Officer Pratt ended by saying that Officer Robbins was capable and that he had help there and he trusted him. And he gives him a slap on the back. Well, that was one of the quickest walkbacks that I've seen. Firstly, Officer Pratt was so hung up on arresting Gabby and explained on more than two occasions to her and to others how he wasn't able to treat her any differently from a man beating his partner. And he'd also told Officer Robbins that he'd be there for him and then promptly jumps in his patrol car and goes, leaving a perplexed Officer Robbins, who's clearly out of his depth, with part ranger holes at the side of the road. As he decamps, Officer Pratt shouted over his shoulder, Call me if you have any problems. He then yelled out the car window, Thank you guys for helping us. We appreciate you. And off he drives, just like that, leaving a trail of confusion in the reflection of his wing mirror. The rest you know from my deconstruction of Officer Robin's body-worn camera footage. So having stopped the van due to Brian's concerning behaviour, and Officer Pratt having started the conversation with Gabby, saying that there were two people who saw him punch you, Officer Pratt then filed his police report stating no one reported that the male struck the female. He identified Gabby as the primary aggressor and blamed her serious anxiety in inverted commas. Officer Robbins agreed in his report and wrote it up as a inverted commas mental health crisis and not a domestic assault. Gabby's mental health crisis. Gabby was noted as being confused, emotional, and manic. So Gabby was pathologized, and Gabby was seen as the problem. What else was in the police report? And what happened to the officers who called this so wrong? Well, there was a full review of the investigation, and I'll share with you some of the headlines from the 99-page report. That's next time. Until then, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instincts. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude. <laughs>